0: Coming up, highlights from the peanut gallery that is the YouTube comments feed. The wild, wild west of feedback, somewhat constructive criticism, and overall general critical commentary. I particularly love the ones from people who haven't even watched the video yet. Two thumbs up for proactivity there. This is, of course, mainly because I love you in that holy hetero way more than just about anything else. Not that there's anything wrong with the alternative, it's kind of just not who I am, dude. I'm more drawn inexorably to the former Norwegian cheerleader hottie type, preferably a redhead named Tiffany. <laughs> I'm Julian Logan from AutoExpert.com with you and I get new cars. Strayer only, it guts me to admit, I had these plans for world domination. It was a done deal too, dude. I was going to be on top. Anywho, then COVID hit and... As is the case for so many world domination plans, I think. C'est la vie. Um, website? Card? Now, with the formalities out of the way, I just thought I'd bring you this news item which I found quite interesting and may have escaped your attention. Cheyenne during the week. We'll do a word association test. Can you guess who this cheese is? Kurt Schlosser. Ringing any bells? Kurt Schlosser. The former cheese of Tesla in Australia. Things not looking too bright for Big Schloss because he might face prison time after pleading guilty on Tuesday to two counts of insider trading. Oops, a friggin' daisy. This was at the Downing Centre local court in Sydney. Big Schloss admitted to investing in Piedmont Lithium in September 2020 after learning of a pending lithium ore supplier deal between Piedmont and Tesla Incorporated. Elon Musk's big church over there in Morocco. He's the country manager here. It's not looking good, is it? According to the ASIC, the corporate watchdog, Big Schloss procured 86,478 Piedmont shares after he received information as country director of Tesla Australia that this deal was going to go ahead and then he sold them for a net profit of almost $29,000 following the official announcement of the deal, which triggered a spike in the price of Piedmont shares. They went up, like, 90% or something. Big Schloss also pleaded guilty to blabbing about the deal to a friend. Not supposed to do that either, knowing it would likely encourage the friend to invest in Piedmont, according to the ASIC. Bugger. At the time of the offence, and this is pretty sobering, actually, each breach carried a maximum penalty of 15 friggin' years at His Majesty's pleasure. Like, Jesus, for 29... thousand bucks, or just slightly less. Big Schloss is of course yet to be sentenced and I'm not making any speculation there, contempt of court being the thorny item it is in the view of the court. It could therefore be a fairly somber Christmas in Chateau Schloss. Don't you think? It just doesn't seem worth it to me. Let that be a salient wake up call to all of you other would be insider traders. Now, what did you say? Who are you anyway? Don Dawson now. I like Don's comment, this is awesome. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I was told we changed to unleaded fuel to stop cars emitting carbon dioxide and they would emit carbon monoxide. Well, Don, I'd suggest that would be a net retrograde step in the old emissions department because although carbon dioxide is a deadly poison, it has to be significantly highly concentrated to kill you. Whereas carbon monoxide, it's a killer at much lower concentrations. And look, dude, when you burn liquid hydrocarbons, the two fundamental things that you can't really escape are the combustion byproducts of CO2 and water. That's what you get when you burn gas or petrol or diesel or propane, whatever. The fundamental products, CO2 and water, like scientific literacy is so low in Australia. You get problems when combustion is compromised by virtue of being too rich, too lean, too hot or too cold Or any combination of the rest of those things plus impurities in the fuel and or the air so there's that essentially these combustion byproducts can be like carbon monoxide can be produced when you haven't got enough oxygen there because there's plenty of carbon and if you haven't got enough oxygen to go around you get CO instead of CO2 you can also get oxides of nitrogen which happen when the mixture is too lean which means too much air not enough fuel because it's really, really hot in there and everyone gets excited and then they hook up with, you know, things that they probably shouldn't. happens in nightclubs all the time too, I know. And as air is like 78% nitrogen gas, there's a lot of nitrogen which is notionally inert, just sitting around in the combustion chamber getting warmed up on the way through. But if you heat it up and the oxygen gets too energetic, then it can combine with the nitrogen to form these Oxides of nitrogen, which are detrimental to human health and pollution, acid rain, things of that nature. Then there's unburned hydrocarbons, which typically happen if the engine runs too cold or too rich. And that's kind of a problem because breathing that shit in is bad for you. And then finally, there's particles of soot. And they're kind of bad for human health as well because they're exactly the evil Goldilocks size to breach the membranes in your lungs and go straight into your blood and get into your brain and things of that nature. And they're carcinogenic as well, so well done us. Um, All of these things get cured by uh, post Combustion treatment, typically catalytic conversion for carbon monoxide and unburned hydrocarbons and oxides of nitrogen and catching the particles with a filter in the case of DPF equipped diesels and soon there'll be PPF equipped petrols. So there's that. But as for leaded and unleaded. The reason we switched to unleaded was because we had this chemical before 1985. We had this chemical in petrol called tetraethyl lead, which was entirely a good news, bad news story. The good news, it's an upper cylinder head lubricant and an octane booster. Two thumbs up there. Uh, The bad news is it's neurotoxic. So... Not too good for the development of, in particular, the little kiddies' brains. So getting rid of the lead was a good idea and it forced us to embrace additional technologies like better materials in upper cylinder head components that were more wear resistant and also better control of the combustion event in modern engines using microprocessor control and knock sensors and piezoelectric injectors and things of that nature and that meant we could use a lower octane fuel with a higher compression ratio and still get decent performance out of it so i will correct you don you were wrong and now russell clay i love russell i love the tribal aspect of electric cars generally. Like, you gotta be in one tribe or the other, you know? You can't just be objective about it and say, well, they're kinda good at some things, but are they the universal panacea to global warming? No, they're not. And are they completely better than petrol cars? No, they're not. They're just better at some things and not as good at others, and the price is a problem. And if you say that, the tribal dickhead's like, oh, Jesus. Anyway, Russell goes, I would love you to reword your whole argument with horse and cart over a hundred years ago. It would sound pretty much the same. Whining about change, my horse will go two miles on a handful of grass, blah, blah, blah. It's very hard to read directly what's written, I have to say. The first cars were novelty shockers. Cars have had over a hundred years to improve. Rust baby's not done yet, but let's address that a bit, shall we like. Electric cars are not new technology, okay? We're not starting at ground zero and building something from nothing because electric cars are cars with a different powertrain. They're just cars with a different powertrain, right? And electric motors are not new either, are they? We've had them for like, I don't know, 100 years or something. And... Batteries are not new either, are they? We've had them for rather a long time, more than 100 years, batteries per se, but even lithium-ion batteries, people keep talking about lithium-ion battery technology. Well, the first prototype lithium-ion battery existed in 1985, because I did freaking research, dude. 1985, I set a dangerous precedent here by doing actual research. And it was first commercialized in 1991 by Sony, incidentally. So, lithium ion batteries are not new technology. They've been around for 31 years in a commercial sense, and longer than that, just in terms of the tech. Okay? So,. This is not cars versus horses, it really isn't because cars were brand new slightly over 100 years ago and that was a big deal and they had to get out of the blocks and become refined whereas electric cars do not face the same kinds of developmental hurdles. In fact the biggest hurdle for electric cars out there in Australia today is availability and charging infrastructure because once you leave the city behind it's fucked. Let's hear from Russ again now. Changing the electric cars will happen, but people need to be cajoled, led, and sometimes forced to accept change. They don't. Not if the change is positive. Like, people run towards positive change. They just do, dude. Superior technology gets embraced because it makes life less shit I got a couple of examples here we could choose plastic like plastic everything dude battery power tools okay so your lithium-ion battery power tools got a bunch up on the wall there haven't got cords and the reason is because they're better they're more convenient they do the job they're not as clunky to drag the corner around and make sure if you're using three or four tools at once you haven't got to have a power board and three or four cords connected or just keep juggling the one extension cord you know like that is from hell and ultimately yeah you do get more power out of the wall you get two and a half kva out of the wall or something but you don't get the same amount of power out of a lithium-ion power tool but you get enough power to do most jobs more easily so power tools battery power tools no tradies had to get prodded to go battery because battery is better mobile telephones smartphones right nobody had to get marched into a friggin shower at cattle prod point to embrace the smartphone because it's just better. It's better in every respect. Remember in the 90s when mobile phones were becoming a thing and people had an MP3 player and they had an electronic calendar maybe and they had a flip phone, right? Now your phone is a unified functional device that incorporates all of those things plus a hundred other apps. Like I've got a boxing timer on my uh, phone and I've got a level bubble that you can use flat or you can use it on its edge. Like, what can't you do with a friggin' smartphone? It's my GPS receiver. It's got Google Maps. I don't need in-car nav anymore to find the nearest massage therapist. So I'd suggest, no, dude, people don't need to be led, forced, cajoled, whatever, to embrace new technology, except when it's worse or not as good, right? Now, I'll go back to what Russ says here. He goes, all the bleeding about electric cars pales into insignificance when you see six lanes of gridlock every day for three hours. Every car is burning oil. Madness. This highlights the point, of course, that cars are... Highly visible things and the problems with them are visible they're in the public domain we're all in traffic we're all in gridlock we all see exhaust we all see fuel stations we all do that what we don't see is the 177 million tons of coal that we burn in power stations every year because power stations like if you live in a big city like I do. The power station's over the friggin' mountains or up in the Hunter Valley or something. That's where the coal gets burnt. It doesn't get burnt in the city. It gets burnt out there somewhere and you don't see it. But in fact, the emissions from burning the coal and the fugitive emissions from the mines where the coal is sourced It's five and a half times bigger problem-wise than all of the exhaust emissions from cars. The only problem about cars, of course, is that their exhaust emissions happen in the cities where it's a human health hazard significantly, okay? But five and a half times more emissions from coal. That's just how it is. And furthermore, I'd suggest that gridlock is the madness here, all sitting in traffic. That's not even driving. That's just wasting your life in a freaking car. So gridlock is terrible, it's a waste of human life, and it's a a terrible impact on productivity every day. Like if you take 90 minutes to drive to work, and a lot of people spend longer than that in their car getting to work, you're frazzled and you haven't even done anything yet. You haven't achieved a single thing except you've got out of the blocks at the office or the work site, whatever, right? So gridlock is terrible, and we could fix that with better mass transit because... Everyone who gets out of a car and gets on a bus or a train, they are one fewer car in front of you if you're one of those dudes with a ute full of tools or something who can't do that because you can't carry all your shit on public transport. And that's why public transport improvement should be one of the great cornerstones of battling climate change, just to get people out of congestion, dude. Russ goes on, he says, as for better public transport, get real. When was the last time you went on a bus? Last week, dude, I don't actually mind getting on a bus or a train. get on a train all the time because I can open my laptop and just answer people like you who want questions answered about the next car that they're going to buy or whatever, you know? I find it quite relaxing, certainly more relaxing than just wasting your life in friggin' traffic, getting to the same place and then worrying about where the fuck you're going to park and how horrendously expensive that's going to be. So there's that. Russ goes on, he goes, Myself in Brisbane in 20 years, never. That's on a bus. A train, 20 times. People want security and comfort and will sit in the traffic for double the time just to be safe and comfortable. You will need a bigger carrot and stick to get Aussies out of their cars. Thousands of people catch trains and buses every day, Russ. Sorry to be the harbinger of this confronting news, but it's already happening. And if we made public transport just incrementally less shit, thousands more people would do it. That'd be thousands fewer cars causing gridlock as discussed. Pro tip, public transport is not a salient security risk. It's just not. People don't get mugged all the time on buses or trains. Those events are outliers. There's equal risk in my view being mugged as a pedestrian or getting involved in road rage driving a friggin car dude and furthermore in terms of safety i'd suggest that you are safer statistically if you are on public transport than you are in a car because the risk of serious injury for both of those public transport modes of getting from A to B is substantially less than the risk of serious injury driving a freaking car. So sorry for the facts getting in the way here, Russ, but you know, they are what they are. You don't have to like them. A point about who has the money to buy a $50,000 electric car. Hello? Ford Ranger and Toyota Hilux are selling out with wait time of months. So people have the coin. Yeah. There's no problem selling cars in Australia. We sell one million new motor vehicles, 1.1, something like that, every year, okay? So people do have the coin, but the thing about getting people into electric cars is the disparity in cost between electric cars and equivalent internal combustion cars. The cost is much higher, and that is an impediment to their adoption. The cheapest electric vehicle you can buy in Australia is just under 50 grand, right? And the cheapest car you can buy, internal combustion car you can buy, is about $17,500. So the barrier to entry for combustion versus electric vehicles, it's three times higher for electric vehicles, dude. It just is. And to suggest that that difference is not a salient factor in the speed of adoption of electric cars is nuts. It just is, dude. Now, I just want to bring you this too. This was another news item I got uh, this week. It's hilarious. Like, slow news weeks are the worst, right? And Mazda must have had one because they released this image of the upcoming CX-90. This is just a prick tease, in my view, when one is absolutely not warranted. The four key things are it's artisan red, which is a new one of these funky red colours that Mazda wants to make a name for itself with. It's got the words inline six on the top of a fairly standard honeycomb sort of grid plastic thing above a another chrome jigger. This is like a mudguard badge and the, the main chrome thing looks like a bad interior door handle. And this is the prick tease image for your upcoming flagship three row SUV. Like, come on. It's not the next... Aston Martin. Like, it's just not. It's not the DB13 or something, right? It's just set to make its world debut in January 2023, they say. The three-row Mazda CX-90 represents the company's newest flagship vehicle with wider, longer, and more aggressive proportions than any current Mazda. (laughs) Just show us the car, dude. Like, come on. And then they've issued a 400-word press release. About the color, artisan red. Hiroshima, Japan, Mazda Motor Corporation has applied its proprietary painting technology, Takuminuri, to develop, which just means an artisan made it, to develop a new special color, Artisan Red Premium. Who doesn't want that? Mazda believes colour to be a crucial element of what gives form to a vehicle. Thus, we are focusing our efforts on developing colours that accentuate a dynamic and delicate expression in line with the Kodo Soul motion design theme. <sighs> Jesus, they went on and issued words like that that I, I can't. I just haven't got them in there. I can't tell you about a new colour, but Jesus Christ. If that is the cutting edge of vehicles, Like, if the fight is going to be about reinventing the colour red, like, fuck me and the horse I rode it on, you know. Is it not time for a ceasefire? Anyway, back to you now. David Bosman. I oh, feel sorry for all those thousands of Mossman folks in their million-dollar mansions, yet surprisingly don't have garages where they can charge their EVs and are forced to use the three public chargers. Yeah, Mossman. The stats on Mossman from memory were like uh, 28,000 residents, 13,000 dwellings, three public EV charges, like I I don't know if you've never been to Sydney Mossman is probably the premier suburb on the North Shore which is a pretty elite part of the city I think everyone from the eastern suburbs would disagree I'm sure but it's got to be Mossman or Double Bay or somewhere like that which would have the highest density of Teslas Per capita like you've you've got to be kidding and the council there and the local and the state government right all of the planning there three fucking public charges for the whole local government area you've got to be kidding this is just an amazing failure of infrastructure support and it's typical of these liberal government idiots who think that the free market is going to get all the details right like come on uh, Stephen Weatherall. Now he must be number five or number six. We are getting there. Remember, it's strategic relocation, not theft, when liberating useful things from the kitchen. Yeah, I remember this. Okay, so you can liberate vinegar from the kitchen and use it to get the rust off conventional metal parts. Like I wouldn't use, I wouldn't use anything made of tool steel. Like I wouldn't use anything that's hardened or anything that you use for cutting like a drill or one of these dirty big Allen keys or something like that. I wouldn't throw it in vinegar because it's amenable to uh, hydrogen embrittlement in that environment, right? But anything that's just made out of conventional steel, kind of like these clamping fixtures, right? You can get the rust off them with vinegar, no problem, okay? So, did a piece on that during the week and the point I made was that you can get two things done. You can liberate useful shit from the kitchen And you can also gaslight your wife (laughs) make her think she's losing her mind because when she's missing the vinegar, honey, have you seen the vinegar? You can go, huh? Right? And I find that tremendously entertaining and no harm is done. I mean, obviously, she's not really losing her mind. It's just one of those games that couples play, particularly during lockdown. So I thought, what else could you strategically relocate from the kitchen just for shits and giggles, right? bring it down here into the fat cave. And I came up with a baking tray. A baking tray is an excellent thing for disassembly, particularly things with ball bearings inside them. Disassemble it inside a baking tray, and then when you drop a ball bearing and it goes like that, into the recesses of the fat cave and you can't find it after 15 minutes, at least you've got some chance in a baking tray, right? So pressing apart one of those Jacob's Chucks with the ball bearings inside it when you disassemble it, something of that nature, do it in a baking tray, dude, and use a good one. (laughs) Knock yourself out and just, have you seen my good baking tray? A dishwashing liquid and a scrubbing brush. They're an excellent sort of low toxicity degreaser. I wouldn't be using brake cleaner, the chlorinated brake cleaner, that is properly shit stuff in and of itself. But I would never clean a part that I was then going to weld with chlorinated brake cleaner because that's a fantastic way of manufacturing phosgene gas. And you don't want to do that because it's a deadly poison in extremely low concentrations and it's just the temperature that causes it. So it's the chlorine compounds in the chlorinated brake cleaners that are really dangerous there. What I'm trying to do is use this joke about strategic relocation to make sure that you don't kill yourself, right? So never use brake cleaner to degrease a part that you intend to weld because it's fucking dangerous, okay? Um... A basting brush is excellent for putting grease on. Like, you know, even those silicon basting brushes are really good for dabbing in the grease and getting them back into those ball bearings when you're reassembling that Jacob's Chuck. It's a good trick for that. And the grease makes a really good binding agent to stop the little fuckers from falling out too, just quietly. Cooking oil. The cheapest cooking oil money can buy is an excellent hot bluing agent. And the process for hot bluing, which is kind of like the finish on this, right? What you do is you get your steel part, you finished fabbing it up and you've given it some surface finish, whatever, some reasonably, I don't know, 400 grit sort of finish, maybe 240 would be fine sort of thing. And then you just heat it up with a conventional blowtorch. You hold it in a old busted-ass pair of pliers that don't matter so you're not going to uh, take the heat treating out of a good pair of Kniepex pliers or something and you just... Dump it, get it to about 400 degrees C. If you're unsure about testing for that, just use an infrared thermometer. Drop it in the cooking oil, not in a plastic container. That'll just be messy. In a tin, okay, drop it in the cooking oil. Stand back because if it's hot enough, you get this sort of combustible vapour comes up off the top of it. You don't want to be in a eruption. Just put it in, wait for it to cool down, pull it out. Hot blue, dude, and the hot blue works because it absorbs oil and that gives you a sort of more or less impermeable barrier to the air and slows corrosion down. It doesn't look too bad either, so there you go canola oil for hot bluing and Tupperware. You can steal as much Tupperware as you can get away with and just use it for storage, particularly the clear sort of containers because you can see what's inside them, you don't have to label it. And yeah, strategic relocation, bit of interspousal gaslighting like she's doing it to you dude come on the the least you can do is reciprocate right now two more to go Lancelot 1953 says oh John you should teach engineering universities and colleges that is your engineering explanations are poetic obviously been drinking and your mechanical explanations well almost erotic there's no almost about it, Lancelot. They're full-on friggin' erotic. That's, that's how I write them. Had Shakespeare heard you, he would have given up on Othello, Macbeth and co, which would have helped STEM guys like me secure a scholarship towards my engineering degree without worrying about what Romeo was doing with Juliet. He was doing everything, dude. It's, it's in the book. Pretty sure. You have exceptional, if not Machiavellian mastery of the English language. Yes, I am an evil cock, that's right. Ciao from USA. No problem, I've just got a problem with the central overarching thesis of this, which is the imposition of me on a malleable young mind. I just... I don't see that being a good thing in any respect. But the one thing with which we are in furious agreement is the need to have more STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics because... From time to time, humanity has these hiccups and, you know, millions of people look like starving because, you know, we can't feed everyone with current technology. And then some STEM dude comes up with the green revolution or, you know, we figure out the microprocessor revolution or we get relativity to do something cool for us like nuclear energy. And anyone who's ever had a PET scan has to thank Einstein for being such a... Brilliant dude thinking up relativity because that's how this works. Or GPS, for example, which uses both quantum mechanics and relativity to function. It's got time dilation to deal with and all of that cool shit. Without that, you wouldn't be able to go, oh, get me to the nearest massage parlour. So, yeah, we definitely need that. And as for, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest of most magnificent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times, and now how bored my imagination is, like, Who needs that now edward wigmore being saturday and all i thought we'd end with edward wigmore because because seldom have i seen a comment that added quite as much value to a package you know edward says i have my own seat heater my ass now Edward watched a video of mine, right? And he digested the content and then he sat down in front of the keyboard and decided to add that to the discourse. Thank you. Edward, thank you very much for the critical exothermic Aussie ass update, son. I know I speak for humanity when I say doubtless we'll all be sleeping more soundly in our beds tonight as a consequence.